Tech Fighter Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 549 for the 2nd of July, 2017. Something new to beware of. Destructionware came calling this week, disguised as ransomware. Upcoming targets are likely to be power grids and other essential services. In short circuits, sometimes it seems we're standing at the base of a mountain, watching an avalanche begin far above us. Now what? The rapid spread of malware can be slowed, but only if we all work together. Think of it as vaccinations for computers. In spare parts only on the website, two big graphics providers are merging. Shutterstock will acquire Flash stock. And will we ever fully embrace paperless money? Some nations are moving faster than others. This week's malware attack was something new, or maybe something old, something recycled. Some of the earliest malware back in the 1990s was intended to damage hardware. Damaging hardware doesn't have any monetary value, though, and crooks moved on to creating applications they could monetize. Not this time, though. This isn't the article I had intended to have at the top of this week's program, but it barged in. And as the week went on, it became more and more important. So let's look at not Petya instead of what I had intended to have here. If your computer is attacked by the malware that came calling this week, there is probably no recovery. It acts as ransomware initially, but it really intends to destroy your computer by damaging what's called the master boot record. The MBR must be present when the computer starts. With no MBR, the computer won't boot. CyberReason provides applications that are designed to protect enterprises from ransomware and also offers ransom free for home users. This is an application that monitors the computer, watches for suspicious activity, and shuts down attempts to encrypt files. It also monitors the computer's master boot record. This week's attack began in Ukraine, and CyberReason's Sam Curry says thousands of companies have been affected around the world. In the end, I would say that um, it's at least in the thousands of companies that have been hit. As with many people who've been victimized, not everyone leaps forward to say that they've been hit. And so I think estimates will be a long time coming as to the total effect. And probably the biggest measure here will be what the impact is on the Ukrainian economy, as well as on partners doing business in the Ukraine. Intangibles like what it means to the you know those considering risk in doing business in the Ukraine have yet to be I think they'll be the hardest to get to, but certainly I, I would expect those who are more financial analyst types to be starting to do GDP impact and what is the impact in currency and, uh, and productivity over a period of time. But this certainly seems to have been a large blow uh, as these things go bigger than we've seen from similar attacks in the past. Initial reports said that this attack was based on a well-known piece of malware called Petya, but Curry says that was quickly disproved. The functionality, first of all, was similar to Petya, and it's you know, in that fog of war, there was some confusion as to whether this was Petya or not. I think some of the initial reports were that the Petya, which is an older form of ransomware, 
at a superficial analysis appears to contain some things in common. A host of other exploits are in here. Um, Eternal Blue as well, uh, uh, which has uh, a, as a kit, uh, we also saw used with WannaCry. So uh, some parallels drawn there. It harvests credentials uh, from, in, from infected machines and spreads uh, using PSExec uh, and or uh, WMI to move within an organization and infect other machines. It also overwrites the uh, the master boot record of the system with a malicious payload. So, when you when you are infected, and the uh, administrator credentials are used to actually overwrite the MBR, and in it has a couple of mechanisms for doing this, but there's usually a little bit of time before a system reboot. The system will be forced to reboot, and it's when it when you come back from that reboot that the code that was in the, the master boot record then begins to encrypt uh, files. It will create a task as well that will re-encrypt the system if it's recovered by other means. So there was actually in the beginning, there were some reports that, hey, if you can force a graceful shutdown prior to a forced uh, not graceful reboot, that this would save you. That's not true. Um, so, you know, if you do happen to suffer this infection, don't just hit the off button or try to shut it down uh, gracefully yourself or park it. That's not a good idea because the scheduled task will eventually kick in and then you're in the same situation. So was this week's attack ransomware? Curry says that's not an accurate description because there is no way to recover from the attack. I actually don't like calling it ransomware. It got that label because of the message and because of its superficial similarity to Petya. I prefer to call it destructionware. In the old days of viruses, uh, when the objective was to brick systems and to cause damage, that kind of went by the wayside. The objective on the financial side was to make a profit. That's not done by bricking systems. And by and large, the focus of nation states or agenda hackers turned to uh, trying to gain purchase and stay and be silent and stealthy and you know, the whole advanced persistent uh, notion. Um, but this is to do damage. And uh, you know, I, I think I've seen some folks commenting uh, in threads online and tweets. Uh, they've been saying, uh, um, uh, you know, hey, the email went away that you could you know, write you to get the keys to decrypt. Uh, and so it appears that because there was one there, there was a mechanism to recover your data. But at the end, not so much. Um, if the master boot record is damaged without an ability to recover it, it was never really meant to be recovered. So I call this a destruction-oriented attack. It, it doesn't appear to be uh, motivated uh, for profit. Those keys aren't available and the recovery is almost not there and the master boot record is gone. And the other thing is that it moves extremely quickly from an initial point of infection uh, through Windows domain, and the likelihood of spread to other domain members is very high. Every time it lands a hit, the potential for, uh, not to abuse the term, but the potential for collateral damage is very high. And so it can be crippling to some organizations to have large swaths of their compute effectively taken out of action. What's hard to understand is why this attack succeeded. Systems that are up to date would have been protected. The painful truth to admit is that a lot of security departments are struggling to make the patch cycle as, as up to date as possible. There's this notion that some patches are more critical than others, and this one is clearly flagged as critical. But there is a potential interruption to services every time you roll a patch out. There's tech debt in the environment with multiple patches. So some form of controlled release is important. I, I get that. Um, it's also a time to, to, to start saying, well, um, of the thousands potentially of older patches, many of which that could be critical, out there waiting to be caught up in most people's environments. I think it's really important to, to guys get on that and, and have a better dialogue with the business here. 
if this isn't the call to action to patch this, I don't know what will be. You might be wondering what kind of future is out there if we see massive new attacks on an almost weekly schedule. Curry says we will see more weaponized malware. It's always a dangerous game to predict the future, right? But I think that this is leak of more weaponized malware. I would actually say leak of more uh, weaponizing techniques and more um, really uh, military-grade vulnerabilities that can be exploited. Uh, Eternal Blue is not the only one. There are others. We're going to see that continue to happen. And, and the main reason is that it is in most nations' interests, to some degree, absent rules otherwise, to stockpile both delivery and payload mechanisms. And so the, the bigger those get and, and, and the more that they, they, they continue to exist and to grow, the more likely we are to see their release or their publication and to see those become toolkits for others. And, and I think that's where a lot of the truly virulent behavior has been uh, coming from recently. I, I would expect to see continued uh, current scale and frequency. My suspicion is that we've passed uh, where the second derivative is zero. In other words, we've gone from having an exponential increase to leveling out. Uh, time will tell on that, and I certainly hope it doesn't get worse. But my earlier comment about patching, I think, is very apropos. And I believe that innovation on the darker side is is very worrying. There's been a lot of talk about who did this, whether it is in fact ransomware or not. Nevertheless, there are labs that have a vested interest in an ROI equation around ransomware. And so I would say that the bigger they get, the more money they make, the more money they have to spend in R&D. Um, yes, there's a profit motive, but there are other motives here as well. And Lital touched on this as well with the unknowns uh, of what we you know, we don't, you know, many people don't know what they don't know on the, on the dark side. I think there's an increased need to detect that. Um, hackers don't turn up, or I should say adversaries. Uh, adversaries, uh, invaders don't turn up with malware that has signatures on it unless they're trying to create distraction and signal-to-noise ratio or diversion. It's not beyond them to combine a little bit of malware that's known with a little bit of DDoS, and the actual attack that comes through is the non-signature-based or fileless or stolen credentials, uh, all the mechanisms that are available for exploiting tools that are signed in situ and inter-process exploits. So I think there's an increased need for more behavioral detection in general, and I and I don't see that getting any less. And uh, for me once, shame on you. For me twice, uh, shame on me. Well, let's not let uh, get another really virulent piece of malware hammer us uh, as an industry because of the massive patching gap. Sam Curry of Cyber Reason. The company provides a quick summary of how the latest attack works. It's on the company's website. The conclusion? Causing as much disruption as possible was the attack's likely goal. On that front, Cyber Reason says the attack succeeded. Offices closed, people were unable to buy food at supermarkets, and employees were told not to use their computers. A free protective application, Ransom Free, can be downloaded from the Cyber Reason website. I recommend it. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. This was another attack orchestrated using malware developed by the United States National Security Agency. The NSA is not alone, and malware is being developed by other nation states and by individuals. We're going to see more of it. The situation is ugly, and it's getting worse. Unfortunately, that is the perfect lead-in to the second item in this week's program. Coming up next... The U.S. electric grid is struggling, and most of us encounter at least occasional power outages. 
Depending on where you live, the outages may be more frequent. In my house, for example, we had power outages ranging from a few minutes to a few hours several times a month. Houses across the street on another power branch rarely experienced outages, and enough complaints to enough people finally resulted in an improvement. So you might be in an area that generally has solid service, or you might be in an area that loses power any time a squirrel sneezes. Either way, we're all at risk of more substantial outages, ones that might not be easy to fix. Halfway around the world, in December 2016, tens of thousands of people in Ukraine suddenly had their power shut off. It wasn't a storm, not a problem at a generating station, no faulty equipment. Hackers, believed to be in Russia, used malware to shut down Ukraine's power system. The hackers had used malware called Crash Override to shut the system down. And although Russia was considered to be the most likely source, it isn't clear whether this was a government-sponsored operation, Russian hackers hired by the government, or somebody else entirely. Security firm Dragos has published a report with some highly troubling observation. The report says Dragos was notified by the Slovak antivirus firm ESET of an ICS-tailored malware on June 8, 2017. The Dragos team was able to use this notification to find samples of the malware, identify new functionality and impact scenarios, and confirm that this was malware employed in the December 17, 2016 cyber attack on the Kiev Ukraine transmission substation. Crash Override is the fourth piece of malware known to attack industrial control systems, or ICS. Stuxnet, believed to have been developed jointly by the United States and Israel, was used against Iran. Black Energy 2 was used in 2015, possibly by Russia, in Ukraine. And Dragonfly, which is also called Havex, was seen starting in 2014 when it was found in software distributed by manufacturers of industrial control systems. These industrial control systems are what make minute-to-minute -minute decisions about the nation's electric grid. Power consumption and power production must be closely matched to avoid damage to the system, and attacking the grid's ICS could shut the system down and do enough damage to make recovery take a long time. Crash override isn't linked to any one vendor's ICS, so it can be used to target any electrical grid. It could also be repurposed to attack systems anywhere in the world. According to the Dragos report, crash override could be leveraged at multiple sites simultaneously, but the scenario is not cataclysmic, they say. It would result in hours, potentially a few days of outages, not weeks or more. Industrial control systems are key to nearly everything we do. Gas and oil pipelines, factories and warehouses, urban transit systems, airlines, and the Internet. Crash Override is a sophisticated piece of software. It's not designed to steal information, but only to disrupt industrial control systems. Dragos has made its long and detailed report publicly available on their website. You'll find a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. Oh, and pleasant dreams. In short circuits, we seem to be standing at the base of a mountain, watching an avalanche start near the top. We know what's going to happen, but we're powerless to stop it. Now, this isn't a story about climate change. It's about malware. Ukraine seems to be the testing ground for all types of malware. 
And the latest attacks have spread through Europe, Asia, the Pacific, and the Americas. The attack appeared to be another version of WannaCry, which was based on malware developed by the U.S. National Security Agency, but it turned out to be more than that, and much worse. Several security experts have suggested that the ransomware might be a red herring intended to pull our attention away from something else that's going on in the background. There's no indication that there is more, but someone who wants to install destructive applications for later use might well use something like a ransomware attack to hide what's going on right now. Ukraine probably received the worst of the attack. The former Soviet Republic has been the target of several Russian attacks in the past. This could be another test. In the previous WannaCry attack, the malware was poorly designed and investigators quickly identified a way to keep the infection from spreading. That deficiency has been remedied in the current version, which also steals a user's credentials. That's one of the reasons that some investigators believe yet another wave is coming. The Ukrainian government was quick to blame Russia, but the attack also crippled Russian energy company Rosneft and Home Credit Bank, one of Russia's largest banks. The attack seems initially to have used a malicious application called Tetya, which is available for purchase as a service on the dark web, sites that are not visible on the normal public web and are accessible only with the Tor web browser. As noted in this week's top article, it was really something a lot worse. The malware had been quietly spreading to computers around the world since late in the previous week when it was activated on Tuesday. One of the primary protections, other than being extremely careful about clicking links and being attuned to signs of danger, is keeping the operating system and the applications on the computer up to date if you want to protect your computer from ransomware and other malware. When the WannaCry malware caused major disruptions at medical facilities in England, the director of Europol, Rob Wainwright, was outspoken on the subject of updates. It's frustrating, he said because there had been other similar attacks in Europe and in the United States starting two years before that attack hit. Some security experts say the real problem is broken update systems and procedures. The BBC quoted the vice president of cybersecurity at Massergy Communication, an IT services firm, David Venable, who said that computer updates aren't rocket science. It's an oil change, he said. Venable is a former intelligence officer with the U.S. National Security Agency. He cited some challenges, such as companies continuing to use operating systems when security updates were no longer available, and the problems of rolling out large updates to millions of users. But these aren't new challenges, he said. Anyone running these networks should have had this solved long before now. But there is one more thing you can do to protect yourself, your data, and your computer from all types of malware. It's something you should be doing on a daily basis right now, and it's not even difficult. Backup is the backstop, the final bit of protection that stands between your data and your data being gone. There are online services that provide backup, several types of backup applications, and automated systems that can make the process absolutely painless. Certainly a lot more painless than losing critical files. If the worst does happen, a good backup will allow you to format your computer's hard drive, reinstall the operating system, and restore your applications and files. Annoying? 
Yes, absolutely. But it's a lot better than the alternative. And there are a couple of alternatives in spare parts this week. You'll find it only on the website. Two big graphics providers are merging. Shutterstock says it'll acquire Flash stock. And will we ever fully embrace paperless money? Some nations are moving a lot faster than others. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.